Hey, this is Sailor. Welcome to another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Howdy, howdy, ho, everybody. What's up? up? What's going on? Hey, Sailor. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. We have a guest with us tonight. We do. Um, I'm very, very excited to have this person um, in the room with us, and I can say happily that I've gotten to give him a hug in real life, so that was really nice. Um, tonight, we have Mark Gillespie from the Whiskey Cast with us. Hey, guys. Yeah. Good thing you got that hug in when you did. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. I think it was just a few weeks shy of the shutdown. Yes. Yeah. We only kept yeah. kind of close there. Yeah. <laughs> we probably shouldn't have been there, actually, when we were. but Yeah, because we were in Seattle, and it was probably just within five miles of where all the hell was for a Right. Exactly. Time. Yes. Yes, I think you're right. But uh, so far, we're okay. Knock on wood. Lots of wood. Um, So before we get into, we're going to talk to Mark a bit about his uh, podcast. And now you have, are we, what are we calling it? A video cast? What are you, what are you calling it now? Well, what we decided to do because of the, uh, the pandemic, people are at home and locked down and have, uh, a little more spare time, not a whole lot, depending on how much work you're actually able to get done at home, but you need some distraction in your life. So what we decided to do was create uh, a couple of web live video webcasts on Wednesdays and Fridays at five o'clock that we're uh, doing from the studio here at home and putting those out on our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter feeds with uh, live guests and uh, just trying to have a little bit of fun and talking about whiskey while recognizing that uh, there are a lot of people who are suffering out there and trying to be respectful of that. But still, you've got to have a little bit of distraction in your life. And uh, otherwise, we're all going to go nuts. Exactly. Absolutely. I think that's exactly where we all fit into and certainly what I'm doing with my brand. Um, I go back and forth on, you know, should we talk about it? And then I'm like, you know what? No, what, people need a space away from it. So mm-hmm. um, Uncle Nearest is trying to do the same thing with all the content that we are also bringing via video and live uh, things like that now. So um, well, we're talking about it because um, we're talking with uh, folks who are locked down. Right. And we're talking with distillers who are making hand sanitizer and trying to deal with the regulations. But we're also trying to do it in a way that is informative, but where we also have a little bit of a lighthearted, where we can basically shoot the breeze a little bit and have some fun. Yep. You're more of news-based and industry updates and stuff like that. So, And I've sat in on some of yours, and they're they're, especially the one about the hand sanitizer Mm -hmm. issue is super informative. Oh, that was very interesting. Thank you. Very big deal. I have, you know, uh, people that are family to me, tiny craft distillery in Ohio, and they're just completely confused on what the ramifications are going to be. You know, should they sell to the public? Should they not sell to the public? Is that going to affect them tax wise? You know, how do people, people are trying to um, source the, uh, type of alcohol that you actually have to use. So it's, it's very, it's very rough to be able to pivot this quickly from something you already know how to do and then try to do something you know nothing about, but you know, well, the you easy want to help. Is that, uh, your family in Ohio was basically under the same rules they were before. They're just not making booze. They're making hand sanitizer because the, uh, congressional, 
bill that passed the other day with the uh, stimulus package essentially said, yes, you can take a tax break if it's FDA-approved hand sanitizer, and the FDA will not approve stuff that's not denatured alcohol, mm-hmm. which means you either got to put isopropyl alcohol or one of these other compounds that the FDA will sign off on in order to get the tax break. So in essence, it's business as usual tax-wise for the uh, all the distilleries unless the uh, lobbyists and members of Congress can persuade the FDA to change its rules. Right. So for those that are donating, um, which many, many are uh, donating the hand sanitizer they're making, if it, I mean, who in the end finds out if this is FDA approved or not? Is this like the Boy Scout method or or what? Um, I don't think the TTB, the federal government, is going to go along with that idea of self-policing. Basically, I think what they're going to say is, did you denature it? No. Could you denature it? We could have. And you may have to pay the tax, but considering that most of the small craft distillers never even get close to the... uh, that threshold of 100,000 proof gallons for paying the higher excise tax, they're going to pay a reasonably low tax rate and they can probably write off what they're giving. Mm, That's a good point. I mean, I'm not a tax expert, but I'll bet you they can find a way to write it off somehow. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, it's, you know, for for this small distillery, for them, it's literally going to keep their doors open for them to be able to sell the hand sanitizer you know, and, and to sell it to the right people, of course, um, is, is helping them out. So yeah, it's an, it's an, it's definitely an important issue. And much like with everything going on all over the industry, there's so much confusion, which is hard, you know, it's difficult for retail workers. It's difficult for the retail stores themselves. Um, I was speaking to someone that works in a Home Depot in Connecticut and she is terrified because she's been given no protective gear from her company. There's no social distancing. They're letting just as many people as they want in the stores. They're not limiting them. Um, you know, they don't have hand sanitizer with them. They're running every five. How do you run every mm. five seconds to go wash your hands? And Matt himself works for Total Wine in Florida and is having a similar issue. Wow. Because I know the Home Depot near us, I was just by there a day or two ago and they're only letting in 50 people at any one time and you've got a long line waiting to get in and they're making everybody use hand sanitizer and all that. So I, I'm surprised that Home Depot in Connecticut is getting away with that. Yep. I mean, she's, you know, comes home and, and like most people, she vents on Facebook that she's concerned and people are rude and they're not, you know, the, when they're standing in line, they're, they're touching things. They're not standing far enough apart. They're trying to approach her to ask questions way too close. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough. It's, it's really tough. I mean, Matt, I think, I think you, you, I've seen one total wine say that they're uh, going to start taping off like when you're at the register, you know, how far apart you're supposed to be. Has yours well, done that yet? We, ha- we have done that. We are limiting the amount of people in the store. I don't know if it's 50 or 60 or something like that, but we are, um, you know, stopping people at the door if, you know, the count gets too high. So, I mean, they are putting safeguards in place, but it, it all comes down to those that are in the store, whether they're adhering to these or not. I mean, that's basically mm-hmm. what it is. We can do everything we could possibly do. Uh, aside from shutting down or just doing curbside. But if the people aren't adhering to the rules, then this is just, you know, there's going to be no end in sight, unfortunately. 
Yes. Yep. I think I read that Georgia's governor opened the beaches again. <laughs> Did I read that correctly this morning? Uh, yeah. I think yeah. So, but uh... that's all right. When I think of beaches, I don't think of Georgia anyway. So. Well, they have beautiful <laughs> beaches, but well, yeah. I'm in Florida, so. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So, um. To jump into a little piece of of whiskey news, because we've been following this story that you broke, Mark, and we we often follow along with your stories, and we always cite you. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Of course. Um, Because I live right on the border of Idaho, specifically Coeur d'Alene is a stone's throw away. We were very closely following the Secret Spirits debacle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and oh, yeah. I see that you updated uh, on the 31st um, that the founders were released from Idaho jail and their home. Is that correct? They are home in Calgary now, Jonathan and Cindy Bray. Uh, they were cut loose on the 19th of March, I believe, was the date. There's a question about that because I saw one court docket that showed the judge signed it on the 20th, but Jonathan told me in an email they were cut loose on the 19th because they had hearings on both days in Coeur d'Alene in the uh, Kootenai County Court. But uh, they are back home right now. They have a trial date set for July 15th, and Jonathan could not comment other than what they have put up on their GoFundMe page for their legal defense fund about (laughs) So this is what I want to ask you, Mark, because I might be coming at this all wrong. For me, being a supplier in the industry and having worked in a distillery in a control state and two of my states now that I take care of are control states, it infuriates me when I see people break these damn laws because we are working so hard to move away from being a prohibition country. Um, so my... So maybe I'm wrong, but when I saw they had a GoFundMe, I, I flipped, flipped the fuck out. Um, am I seeing this from the wrong point of view? I'm, I was infuriated that they would do this because this is exactly the type of shit that control states will use against us to say, no, no, no. You see, these illegal things are still going on. People are still breaking the rules. You're, you're not grown up enough yet to uh, you know, play by the rules yourselves. I'm going to be very careful here. Okay. I'm going to walk <laughs> Sorry. because I don't, I try not to express opinions on okay, stories. You don't have to, if you don't want to, and I don't want to put you on the spot. I have known Jonathan and Cindy for many years okay. because I see them every year at the Victoria whiskey festival up in Canada. And I have known them and Jonathan's been on the show before. And that's why I was able to get an email to him just after we found out that he was cut loose and, posted the GoFundMe and he did answer the email, but, and there is also this presumption that uh, somebody's innocent until proven guilty in court. Sure. So I've got to be careful here because, well, I'd like to not get sued. (laughs) Fair. That said. (laughs) Okay. I saw what Jonathan told me about how they said, well, what they did was okay because all the taxes and duties had been paid. And I'm thinking, what? Because <laughs> I, 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 I said, I, I asked him the question in the email, and the follow-up I'll admit to asking him was, wait a second, what part of 
requiring a retail license to sell alcohol, did you guys not quite understand or towards along those lines? Because uh, they were selling this stuff out of a storage unit. Right. <laughs> and I'm going, I asked the question, okay, um, tell me why you guys thought it was legal for you to sell this to anybody as an individual when you didn't have a retail liquor license in the state of Idaho or even apparently, according to the court documents, any of the federal licenses to be an importer into the U.S. And he said, I can't discuss that now because the case is still pending, but once the case is resolved, I'll tell you everything. Curiouser so, and curiouser. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that because okay. gotcha. anybody that's been in this business as a professional, like you, Sailor, knows that the one thing you do not do is sell alcohol to private individuals without a license. Yes. Whether it's collectible stuff or not. There's, mm -hmm. It's part of the reason I'm not a big fan of the whole collector's market. Because yeah. other than a couple of legal ways in the U.S., there's no legal way you can actually cash in right. on your collection. Unless you go to an auction house and pay them a commission to mm -hmm. sell your stuff. Or you go to Kentucky where it's allowed where you can sell it to a licensed retailer or a bar. Mm -hmm. right. Other than that, there's not a state in the single state where they're going to let you sell that rare bottle of whiskey just because it's a rare collectible bottle. Doesn't make it different from the bottle of fireball that somebody wants to sell to a bunch of teenagers out of their garage. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good point. So that's, they, they didn't make any allowance in the laws for selling collectible stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. where, that's where I come down on this. And I'm looking at this going, I can't wait to hear the explanation for this. Me? I'm right there with you. I got um, the ready for that court hearing in July. I can't wait. So first of all, this is an opinion show only. When when we say re we report on the news, we're, we're talking out of our asses. It, it, this is just an opinion show. So I'm not worried about getting sued. <laughs> um, I understand your position, though. You come from a completely different position. I've been me, I, I don't ever want to be sued again. Oh, geez. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> it was years, well, years ago when I was working in TV. It was <laughs> not a pleasant experience. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, well, yeah. I don't ever want that to happen again. We won't walk into that shit. <laughs> no. Um, we'll just say that I, I think we're in agreement with what the hell, you know, ho hopefully for them, they have an explanation that will get them out of this legal entanglement. But, um, yeah, we've been following that along uh, and uh, curious to see how that play, plays out. <laughs> yeah, because they are looking at some serious jail time because the maximum penalties for this are 10 years in jail. Jeez. They got charged not just with selling liquor, but with criminal conspiracy. Right, right. To sell liquor without a license. And that's where the real charges come in. Whoa. And I have to admit, I am surprised that the federal government didn't get involved, that the Justice Department or the U.S. Attorney's Office didn't uh, jump in based on wondering how that stuff got to the storage unit in Idaho in the first place. Yeah, same. That's I was um, wondering that, too. Yeah. Oy, oy, oy. What a mm. sticky situation. Yeah. Indeed. Yuck. Indeed. So well, I, I wish I, I... I really can't speak out on how I feel about the case. Like I said, I know Jonathan and Cindy and I've known them for years and they're, they're good people and they're nice people. And I've gotten along well with them. 
And I wish them the best here because I don't know what they're going to be in for for this. I know they had a hard time raising bail because uh, when they were first arrested at the end of February, their bail was set at $100,000 each. Ooh. And a couple of weeks later, the judge cut it to 50000 and they still couldn't get out. Oh, my gosh. Hmm. So Wow. That's rough. Ugh. But they did get their passports back, and they were allowed to return home until the trial in July. Well, I mean, that's a lesson. You know, when, when we, you know, you see people posting things on, you know, for those that follow whiskey, you know, you see, especially on Twitter, people taking pictures of whiskey labels and claim in like, you know, the TTB paperwork and, you know, just talking about, you know, uh, Facebook shutting down secondary markets. And it's no joke. I mean, that's the problem is that it's such, it's not like you get a slap on the wrist or your town sheriff comes in to tell you like, you know, I'm going to find you. It's serious, <laughs> right. serious yeah. shit to screw around with selling alcohol illegally and even breaking rules that you didn't quite understand. They don't care. It is, it's so serious. Um, so yeah, that it's just, don't mess around with that stuff. My friends, that is our little, uh, PSA for today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've had quite yeah, a few of those lately. Of the on the inside. Man. <laughs> um, so moving on to some music news, uh, we have a good friend of the show. <laughs> I pretend he's a good friend of the show. He kind of is. D. Snyder, uh, front man of Twisted Sister and overall awesome rock dude. He's a friend. Um, he is a friend. He is a yes. friend. Um he is now doing so him and his wife have a second home in Belize and you know their children are all grown and even though he hasn't retired they're kind of like in their retirement phase let's say um and so they are stuck in Belize so they you know when quarantine happened they can't they have to stay there you know um and he says, you know, we're we're not we're in paradise, of course, it's beautiful, but you know, we can't leave. With there's quarantine just like everywhere else. Um, so he is offering to send personalized messages to people that are um, infected with the coronavirus and sick right now oh, with COVID nineteen. Wow. Awesome. So. Um, all you have to do is go to his Instagram or his Twitter, and um, he has a video explaining how you can go about getting a message sent to a friend. Um, please follow the rules of how he's asking you to do it, because, you know, if you look at the amount of followers this man has, he, he's got millions of people following him around the world. So please be kind about how you reach out to him and follow what he says in his video. Um I'm sure he's happy to do, you know, he basically says like, what, what can I do to help? He feels helpless, just like most of us. And if this will brighten some one day, this is what he's going to do. So for all of you metal and rock fans out there, if you know someone that is sick, um, and he's also offering to do it for frontline workers as well. So my brother doesn't listen to the show, but I'm going to get my brother a message sent because um, he is literally in the battlefield right now in New York City as a nurse. So, wow. uh, so yeah, check out D. Snyder's Instagram and Twitter for more information on that. And awesome. that is your whiskey and rock news for today. Let's now talk to our guest a little bit and put him on the flip side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, this ought to be fun. <laughs> it is going to be fun. <laughs> 
So Mark, tell us how, so you started the Whiskey Cast in 2005, and I think I've been following the Whiskey Cast since 2012, maybe, um, is when I found you. Okay. Um, but you're, so let's talk about your career before you, and then why you started and how you started the Whiskey Cast. Well, we've talked about the news thing. My entire career has been in journalism in radio and television news around the United States. And I was working for a company in New Jersey. We were producing broadcast content for CNN and other folks. And this was in 2005. Podcasting had just started really hitting the radar screens of a lot of people because iTunes had added support for it, for the iPod. So... One of the bosses got the bright idea that maybe we should be doing a podcast along with all of our other media content. And I was the poor guy that was going to have to make this work. <laughs> and Lucky you. I said, yeah. yeah, I said, wait a second. Let me play with this for a little bit, see what we can do and see how we're going to do it, and what we have to do to do this thing right. Because we don't want to start something, kill it after a few weeks because of the pain in the neck factor and put a 65-year-old brand on the line. So I got my recorder, and I had thought about doing a whiskey podcast anyway. And I would thought about it earlier in the year and then sort of put it aside. And then when this happened, I said, okay, well, let's give it a try. At the very least, I get to learn a little bit about whiskey and talk to some folks and maybe further my own knowledge. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, well... If I kill it after a few weeks, nobody's going to care. <laughs> so <laughs> I did a few podcasts. People started listening. The numbers started going up. And I went back to the bosses a few weeks later and said, yes, we can do this. Here's what it's going to take. Here's what the IT guys have to do. Here's how we coordinate this. So we start out. And then six months later, they closed my studio in Princeton, stopped producing the network content, moved the studio to Washington, lay my butt off, and hire a kid in Washington at a third of my salary to produce the podcasts. Oh, Ouch. of course. That's okay, because I kept producing Whiskey Cast. It's like, thanks for developing our platform. We'll take it from here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it happens, and that's something that happens in broadcast media. It happens sure. all the time. Um, basically, it's like managing a baseball team. You're hired to get fired at some point. Uh, it's point. just a question of how long you're going to last before they catch up to you. So fast forward about three and a half years, and I'm working for a business news network in New York, and the financial crisis hits. Oh, my God. And this company has its first um, round of layoffs ever in the company's history. I won't say the name, but it was run by somebody who ran for president recently and didn't quite make it. Oh. But mm. I, went, oh. I survived the first round of layoffs in February of, 20, of 2009. Then I didn't survive the second round in July. That's okay. Um, they gave me a good severance package, and uh, it's, uh, it is what it is. But fast forward again, about another nine, 10 months, the severance is running out and I've had one job interview. And I have four women who 
dictate a lot of what I do in my life. My <laughs> wife, slash business partner now, and my three daughters. <laughs> they sit me down after one job interview in 10 months, and we have a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> <laughs> in which they look at me and they say, you know what? Whiskey Cast is actually pretty good. This could be something where we could maybe make a business out of this. But not with you running the business because you suck at it. <laughs> <laughs> and they were right. That's great. They were right because I am a journalist. I am not a marketing person. I am not an advertising salesperson. I stink at that. I hate doing it. And they said, you can keep being the talent, but you got to let mom take over the busy stuff. <laughs> now, keep in mind, it's four on one. <laughs> At that point, I have no, no choice and no logical choice but to say, you know what? You're right. Never stood a chance. Well, <laughs> no, they were right. No. Yeah. They were right. And you know yeah. what? The fact that I'm still doing this and talking to you today in 2020 proves they were right. Yeah, exactly. there you go. Because otherwise, I'd be living under a bridge right now. <laughs> in a van down by the river. Yeah, I'd be in that van down by the river and they'd be successful. <laughs> Put it this way, I am expendable. I am the talent. They could find somebody to replace me if they had. <laughs> no, no, I they disagree. The voice. I mean, my no. right book is... I only have to hang on to this for another 14 years until my grandson turns 21 and he can take over the show for me. <laughs> well, then you can retire. That's a nice retirement. Then I, could, then I might be allowed to retire. <laughs> but until that point, and you know what? They were right. And the thing I learned from it, and it's an important lesson, is that giving up control doesn't have to mean losing control. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yes. Well said. Excellent lesson. Yep. yep. Yes. I, had, I was being insistent and being hard-headed and stubborn and saying, no, I'm doing this. This is my baby. Mm -hmm. But by letting go of that, it became much more than I could have ever made it. Right. Your baby and it gets freed me up to be able, otherwise I still wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do it now. Yeah. I'd be working at Walmart or yeah. doing something, or I would be... I don't know what I'd be doing because, frankly, I'm not qualified to do a whole lot else other than talk and write. <laughs> There's no doubt that most people learn to read, write, and talk for a living, or read, write, and talk at an early age, and then go on to do something considerably more difficult with their lives. I feel like your path, though, was leading you right to this. I oh, yeah. mean, you know, if you look back at it now, it's like, well, you know, you keep fighting something. Um, I mean, I've had that feeling in my life with the whiskey business. Every time I tried to fight it, I'd end up back in it. And every time I, you know, and it would just kept happening <laughs> no matter how many times I tried to, yeah. you know, like this. I know this that is, feeling too, believe yeah. me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, you do, Matt. And you will yes. continue to know that feeling. You're yes. getting out, damn it. <laughs> yep. But you know what? I don't want to. I'm looking at this situation right now. And I'm glad I'm not in a real newsroom. Seriously. I am glad I don't have to cover this for a living anymore. Yeah. I feel for my colleagues who do have to cover it, but I'm having more fun covering whiskey and telling the stories of people who make the stuff. 
and being able to sit back and talk to guys like Jimmy Russell mm -hmm. and the late Parker Beam and the late Elmer mm -hmm. T. Lee and tell the stories of all these folks that decided to make whiskey as a second career mm -hmm. and share their stories. And that's why I did this to begin with. I didn't do it to become any kind of a whiskey nerd or anything like that. I just did it because I thought, I thought there were great stories to be told. Yeah. And that's, if I'm telling a great story, that's all that matters. Well, and in 2005, my God, what a, you were so ahead of the curve. Well, that's what um, I was thinking. Recognizing yeah. that. And that's, I mean, I felt like in 2012, when I found you, you were ahead of the curve then, you know, um, knowing that people would want to hear these stories, you know, about whiskey, I think is, is as genius, well, behind whiskey, as knowing that people would want to know stories about whiskey, you know, in the 90s, when that all started, like telling the story, you know, putting like, like, let's see what happens if we put the dude that makes the whiskey out there. What's good? You yeah. know, is anybody going to be interested? That's, you know, that that's a unique perspective to have and, and to anticipate that there's a, an audience for that, you know, is, is pretty amazing. Well, so I wanted to, to do it basically as a way for me to learn about whiskey. I didn't mm -hmm. know a whole lot about it when I started out, but I wanted to learn more. And I figured who better to learn from than the experts. And all of them were amazingly willing to share their stories and their time and their expertise. Uh, one of the things I really feel bad about is that I started too late to get Booker No. Oh. Mm. A year after Booker passed is when we started yeah. the show, and mm. I never got to meet Booker, let alone interview him. Yeah. And that would have been fun. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. From everything I've heard about yeah. Booker. but uh, Same. So that's one of the things I really regret is that I didn't start sooner. Me too. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but the cool thing is, I've got all this stuff archived. Now. I've got all these interviews. That's what's amazing. In the archives, and I've got the raw interviews that we've not done anything with that we could at some point. That's really cool. Hmm. Those, so, those we'll can be happen. your those can be your tapes, your posthumous tapes, <laughs> like Prince has. Well, we so thought at one really point about maybe I had considered at one point donating some of the original. Uh, raw interviews to one of one of the historical societies just to preserve them but uh, mm. we'll do something like that at some point i think uh, we'll cool. figure it out but uh, i actually have to do it before cd roms become uh, completely obsolete and you can't get a recorder <laughs> and a player anymore for them. Yeah. Yeah. i know i don't even i couldn't burn fighting, a cd if i wanted fighting to the clock archive.org if you're not if you're familiar with that i'm sorry what archive.org yeah well, my problem is, is that believe it or not, some of the actual original early interviews were recorded on a mini disc recorder. Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> I had to play back into a into a computer to actually digitize the things. Oh my gosh! <laughs> that's amazing. Wow, that's going oh, back I a love few it. years. So I'm so grateful that you have been doing this for as long as you have, and like that you do have the, the body of, of interviews and news. And it's just really cool to look back. And, um, and I'm, I'm glad that we got a chance to get to know each other and to meet each other in person. Um, and, uh, and I want to thank you for giving me the chance to meet Victoria oh, a few yeah, weeks ago because I had not had the chance to talk to her yet. And she that was a, special a lady. She's a great lady. She is. So we're talking about Victoria Edie Butler, who is the great, great granddaughter of Uncle Nearest and our master blender. 
Um, and she is just a very special, special person. Um, we couldn't have gotten luckier with one of the family members that wanted to step up and be involved as much as she is. And she's just incredible. And I, every once in a while, we'll see that someone's coming to my neck of the woods, which I feel like I'm so all alone out here being in the whiskey world, being in the PNW. Um, and so I'll, I'll immediately, you know, message people, Oh, you're coming out here. Um, let's, let's meet up. Let me, let, let me come find you. Let me, let me buy you a dram. Let me buy you dinner. Um, I did the same thing with Maggie when she was in Portland and we got to meet up, thank God at Multnomah whiskey library. So I saw that you were coming out and, um, it just happened to be on the one day that Victoria was in town. She was in town less than 24 hours. And, and we took her on a whirlwind Even tour. though you hadn't let me know ahead of time about the dinner so that <laughs> I could post it on our calendar of events, I would have pr- helped you promote the thing. But I, didn't, I knew about the one in L.A. the night before, but I didn't know about the one in Seattle. That's the one of the problems right now with our brand is we are growing so fast I am one person in the PNW and I have to handle, like we handle all our own marketing for our own events, right? It is so difficult to book the thing, prepare the thing, manage getting it all done. Like physically, you know, before you showed up, we're moving tables and I'm setting the table and I also have to, I have to market it and I have to get the word out and I have, I'm, you know, oh my God, it's, we'll be Sailor, I know your boss. I'll give Paul a call and tell her to get you a man. <laughs> Oh Lord, <laughs> I've been begging. Actually, I shouldn't complain. I'm getting help now. They're going to be hiring um, people to take over two of my other states. So I'm very, very happy about that. <laughs> That's going to help a lot. Um. So, well, thank you so much for uh, telling us about your backstory and how you came to Whiskey Cast. And um, at the end of the show, we'll make sure everybody knows exactly if you're not already listening to the show, damn you, you'd better start listening um, where to find you and how to listen to the show. Oh, yeah, I'll kick your ass if you're not listening to Whiskey Cast. Um, let's. Can we quote trans- you on that? Yes. Yes. And if you want to clip the that sound out. As a, yep. <laughs> there you go. I'll, this is Sailor, and I'll kick your ass if you're not listening to the Whiskey Cast. <laughs> there you go. Almost rhymes, too. Sponsored yeah. by me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's, we're going to do something very, very different here for uh, our show. I think the only time we have ever strayed from the the category, which is large, of rock and metal, is when we covered Aretha Franklin. Am I wrong, you guys? I think that's the only time we've stepped outside of the category. Unless you mm-hmm. want to count our uh, our April first, uh, yeah, Weird Al show we did on Weird Al Yankovic. No, but I I know what you're saying. Yeah, Aretha yeah, Franklin immediately came time. to mind. Yep. So when I was talking to Mark about being on the show, I was like, well, you know. We always tell our guests, do you have a favorite band or a genre? What do you want to talk about? Because we want this to be fun for you guys, too. And he said, well, I'm not like a huge rock guy. I love jazz. And I was like, okay, okay, let me think about that for a minute. I was like, wait a minute. What if we kind of talk about the rock stars of jazz? Well, if you look at it. And, and the reason I think it works is that if you look at it, a lot of metal got its roots in jazz. Absolutely. Blues. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, if you look at it, remember Black Sabbath was a blues band originally. Yes. They were an electric blues band at one point before they became famous and changed the name to Black Sabbath. Yes. And there are chord progressions and there are musical links between these genres that really, really work. And uh, if you think about it, remember that for generations before ours, jazz was the devil's music. Oh, it was definitely oh, yeah. the Just my great grandfather. Oh yeah, it was day. it was the metal for yeah. And I I specifically remember my great grandfather telling telling my grandmother like he would tell me the story that when they wanted to go now the type of jazz that she was dancing was going out to dance to by the time she was old enough would have been, this would have been the thirties. That's reefer music. They called it. <laughs> you can't go listen to that reefer music. <laughs> she was, I'm just like, and me in the eighties, I was like, what the hell are you people talking about? And I would later on totally understood what they were talking about. Um, but we are going to step outside of, the uh what we normally do and i'm going to transition us to that with my whiskey segment since i am the one that has the responsibility for that this week decided to go with a whiskey category that I don't often talk about on the show. As a matter of fact, I have probably chosen an Irish whiskey maybe three times in two years of us doing a show almost every week. Uh, so much like this music, jazz, that we're talking about tonight, and in specific, the type of category, I feel like this expression has had a similar timeline and lifespan. You'll find when you do your research that many, most, if not all of the great jazz greats worked with countless changes in musicians, musical homes, and styles. So this whiskey in specific has its origins in 1857. Uh, W&A Gilby, which was founded in London, would go on to found a branch uh in what is on what is now called O'Connell Street in Dublin. This company was a distillery. By the 1870s, Gilby's was described as a wine importer and distiller. At the time, it was customary for distilleries to sell distillate to wine merchants or bonders, as they were called, who had ample supplies of casks through the importation of fortified wines. So they would mature that, the whiskey in these casks themselves under bond. So what was Gilby distilling? Whiskey, of course. So while these whiskeys are aging in Gilby's own sherry casks, Edward Kennedy Duke Ellington was born in 1899. At age seven, Ellington began taking piano lessons. He was part of the Harlem Renaissance. He then held court at the famous Cotton Club in Harlem. 
and weekly radio broadcasts from that club gave Ellington national exposure. He would go on to be a movie star and one of the most well-known faces of early jazz. Now, some of you younger folks that are listening may only know him from a wildly popular Netflix show called Big Mouth where he is the ghost in one of the kids' attics. And he is a naughty, naughty fellow, let's just say. Um, In 1968, Irish distillers opted to phase out the supply of bonded whiskey to merchants such as Gilby's. This threatened the future of the whiskey brand. As Irish distillers controlled all of the whiskey distilleries in operation in Ireland at that point. That same year, John Leslie West Montgomery, who was an American jazz guitarist, passed away, sadly. He was one of the most influential guitarists of the 20th century. Montgomery was known for an unusual technique of plucking the strings with the side of his thumb and his extensive use of octaves, which granted him a very distinctive sound. Could this signal with his death the end to modern jazz and with Phasing out the supply, the end of this whiskey? Thankfully, following pleas from Gilby's, Irish distillers agreed to continue to supply distillate for the production of this whiskey. So it would live on. And as for jazz, we have Miles Davis releasing not one, but three LPs that same year, proving that jazz is fully alive and well. He released Nefertiti, Miles in the Sky, and Kilimanjaro. But the change was not over. In 1975, Irish Distillers closed all of its Dublin distilleries, consolidated production at the new Middleton Distillery in County Cork. As a result, production of this whiskey moved from Dublin to Cork. Would it continue? Well, in 1985, Gilby's ceased production of this whiskey. It entered into an agreement to sell the brand to Irish Distillers in 1986. But what would happen now? Would it be like the end of the Cotton Club in the 1940s? If there's hope, it may be like Keith Jarrett, combining classic styles with jazz, releasing several albums in the 1970s and 80s, a prolific musician and composer who could play pretty much any instrument almost perfectly. Many of his stylings can be heard on Miles Davis' works. So what would happen with this whiskey? Well, lucky for us, the brand was relaunched in 1991 after many years being out of the market. Initially, the whiskey was launched as a standalone 12-year-old, but since then has released a 15-year-old and a 20-year-old and other variants. And lucky for us as well, we have modern jazz musicians keeping the category alive. And here are some to sip to. Shabaka Hutchings, Kamasi Washington, Esperanza Spalding, Nubia Garcia, Makaya McRaven, and Miles Mosley, just to name a few. Now, what in the hell am I drinking? Drum roll, please. It is Red Breast 12 Year. Ta-da! Yay! (laughs) Great stuff. So, let me just say now, Red Breast is a sponsor of the Whiskey Cast, but I have not been paid any money or given any free whiskey for choosing this. As always on Metal Rock and Whiskey, these choices are our own. Just to get and we did not discuss this ahead of time. No way! It's always a surprise. We all, everybody knows it's always a surprise. You want to know the okay. cool thing about what you went through there? Yes. When I was a little kid, my mom listened to Wes Montgomery. Oh, really? Um, she had she would have Wes Montgomery albums playing, and we. Um, my mom died when I was seven in 1969, oh. but 
she would listen to West Montgomery albums when I was a kid, but we had West mm -hmm. Montgomery, Aretha Franklin albums, and uh, a lot of jazz in the house. That's where I got my introduction to jazz was listening to those West Montgomery albums. That's really cool. I and then listening to Lionel Hampton later on, which is more a big band than jazz, but still has a lot of jazz influences to it. That's really cool. I did not know that. I did not well, tell you that ahead of time either. <laughs> no, <laughs> I chose the red breast for a couple of reasons. Um, I always try to match a, a whiskey with the, you know, as, as most listeners know, with either the theme of or the band of the night or a guest that's on. Um, this is my birthday is in a few days. So this is my birthday bottle. Uh, thank you. <laughs> and um, right now we are able to legally purchase uh, closed bottles from our bars Uh during this uh, quarantine lockdown. So I am purchasing from the local bars that need the help and the support. And so I was able to get this from a really, really cool spot in Spokane, Washington called Cease and Desist Book Club. Uh, he was originally named his bar um, Scoff Laws and got a cease and desist order from a bar in Chicago who gives a shit <laughs> and so he was like whatever i'll change the name to cease and desist um super like cool you, better, frankly I, I that's cool um mm. you have to find the right book to open the door when you get there which is really cool it's awesome um it's just a beautiful spot check it out um i i really i tasted this i've only believe it or not tasted this once before because you know i'm i'm really not I drink so much American whiskey because I've represented American whiskey. Really the only time I stepped out of it was when I was doing tastings for William Grant and Sons. But I remembered how much I liked this and I tasted it at the whiskey extravaganza in Seattle last November. Um, so this is, as I said, it's a 12 year. Um, it's Agent Oloroso sherry casks on the nose. One of the things I love about this is it has a very different nose, I think, than a lot of other Irish whiskeys. It's light. It's lovely. It's, to me, a huge fruit basket, golden raisins, almost like champagne without the brine to it. I don't get the grass like others. Um, so typically, I'll go through 10, 20 reviews, as many as I can, after I write down what I get out of it just to see if I'm on par with everybody. And I don't get the grass on the nose. For me, it's all light and sweet fruit and raisins. Um, the palate has a very light viscosity, which I actually enjoy very much in Irish whiskey. Um, now I'm getting a little bit of the soft grass when I sip it. Um, I get a bit of hay, like golden hay, the smell of fresh outdoors. There's a tiny bit of of dusty oak in there, but it's very tiny. You have to get past the candy and the sweet cream to get to that dusky, dusty oak. Um, and then the finish, again, it's it goes back and forth from grass, sweet pears, clean, dry fruit, just really, really smooth. Um, but to me, this is a beautiful, lovely is the, lovely is the word I come to, a lovely fruit basket. Um, everything that you would want out of um, an Irish whiskey of this age. So I think it's a hit for me. So cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. What so I consider the stand, it's what I consider the standard bearer for Irish whiskey. I mean, just my opinion, anything from that's red breast brand. 
actually a couple of years ago, yeah. we were at a, uh, went to visit my daughter at, um, her, her college and they had an, a great Irish pub we would frequent, uh, there. And I wanted to try something different. And so I was looking on the menu and I just happened to pick out the, uh, red breast 12 off the menu. Oh, nice. and had it. That was the first time I had it. It was a good choice. Yeah. Very good choice. Learned, our youngest daughter, Tessa turned 21 a few years ago when she was a college student up in Boston. Red Breast 12 was the first bottle she bought with her own money. Oh, wow. And not only did she buy the one bottle for herself, but they had three other bottles on the store shelf. And she immediately convinced three other people to buy them as well. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's great. So, That's awesome. yeah, I mean, yes, Red Breast is a sponsor. And yeah, but uh, you know what? She was actually over there in Ireland with Christina a few weeks ago. For the launch of the Red Breast 27 year old. Yes. Oh, wow. They both went yes. over for that one. And uh, I will tell you that uh, it is my second favorite Red Breast of all time. Oh, wow. Next to what, 21? Maybe? No. No, no the 32 year old Dream Cask. Oh, my okay. gosh. Okay. That was good. Oh, that my was God. I scored 98 points and I scored the Red Breast uh, 27 year old 97. Mm. Wow. It was uh, outstanding. Yeah, 27 is on my my radar right now. We need to split a bottle, Matt. <laughs> the three of us, we could all split a bottle. <laughs> if we can get one. Well, yeah, we just, I just got it in the other day. So we, ha I have we have no it. hope yep. out here. I don't get shit out here. I have no well, hope. You do realize I have friends in high places. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I, no promises, but I'll, I'll, I'll make it, I'll send a few emails and see if we'll I talk, can arrange to get a We'll talk off air. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank I'll, you. I'll, I'll see what I can do. You well, heard it here, folks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> considering that when they got back from Ireland, I had to wait several days to get a sample of, get the taste of the sample they brought back. <laughs> I had to wait and they, they kept going, you're sure you want to try this? I'm going, Come on, guys. I got to do the tasting notes. And like, yeah, um, but we like this one. <laughs> well, what's in everyone else's glass tonight? Well, before we started here, I was uh, kind of hinting to Mark uh, that I had something kind of I thought was rather appropriate for tonight. As uh, most of our listeners know, I am known as Bourbon Geek on Instagram. And, um, so that's tend to where, that's where I tend to gravitate towards is American whiskeys and bourbons have dabbled in scotch a little bit here and there. Um, I went to my, my lick, my cabinet. I was looking for something to drink tonight. I don't have any scotch whiskeys, but what I do have is high West campfire whiskey. And for those who Mm. haven't heard of this before it, it's kind of appropriate for tonight it's a, it's a bringing together the two wor two worlds the worlds of american whiskey and scotch whiskey it's a uh bottled by high west whiskey in uh park city utah it is a blend of straight rye whiskey straight bourbon whiskey and blended scot malt scotch whiskey and you might think that it the 
the scotch qualities of it would be overpowered maybe by some of the rye or the bourbon sweet notes. But no, the scotch actually really stands out to me in the Skuski. I can definitely tell it's in there. And um, so I saw that and I'm like, that's perfect. Perfect uh, dram for me to be drinking tonight on this podcast. I love what High West does. I cannot... To me, that's too overpowering for my palate. It's the one that I just can't do of theirs. But if you love that flavor profile, that's it's perfect. Absolutely mm-hmm. perfect. If you like that smokiness. How about you, Matt, Matt? what about you? Well, and I have to... I'm going to go to Mark on this one because I was listening to your latest episode where you were talking with... Um, I don't, I'm going to probably butcher his name here, but Rafael Cabello. Yeah, who's a, who's a, yeah, who's a master cooper uh, in Spain uh, who does sherry casks. And, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't drink sherry, but I'm, I'm kind of a fan of sherry because I feel sherry, at least on the wine side, the dessert wine side, gives you that range of palate, the range of flavors that whiskey gives you, you know, scotch in particular. So. I'm a huge kind of fanboy for, you know, stuff that's finished in Pedro Jimenez casks and, you know, Pedro Jimenez being a very sort of uh, viscous kind of intensely sweet dessert wine uh, that comes out of Spain. And the one uh, distillery in Scotland that does a lot of Pedro Jimenez finished stuff is Glendronic. So Glendronic is uh, in particular the 15 year revival uh, is what I'm drinking right now, which is finished in Pedro Jimenez and Oloroso sherry casks. And this particular one, I've had the whole range, uh, at least the stuff that's readily available. And this one has always been my favorite. Uh, it was discontinued at least around 2014, 2015. And I guess for lack of you know mature stock that they had, they weren't able to bottle it. But uh, it's made its, its comeback and... When I saw it come in, I'm like, I am grabbing that bottle that is at the top of my list right now because uh, I know it wasn't going to last long. And sure enough, we you know blew through it in about two days. So it's, like I said, finished in Pedro Jimenez casks and Oloroso sherry casks. And the Pedro Jimenez, it just, I, I, I've used this term before, it just gives all those dessert cart qualities that I love. Um, you know, whether it be like a creme brulee or, you know, a brown sugar uh, notes on it. The, this is just a very well-crafted uh, single malt. And, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned to my co-host here before, at least on the bourbon side, you know, part of my job is to kind of break people out of that, what I call the Buffalo Trace kind of bubble, you know, try different things, try American single malts, try this, try that. On the Scotch side, I call it the Macallan Maze. I think people have blinders on and they always do. They always get in that Macallan Maze, no matter how high the price is on Macallan. And it has gone up a lot. Uh, but, you know, brands like Lendronic, brands like Len Farkless, they have high quality single malts that are less money that will blow you away. And, you know, Glendronic 15 Year Revival, out of all the thousands of whiskeys I've had so far in my career, still, you know, in my top 20 top 15 so that's well, what i'm sipping on. Give you a, a bit of a news update last week the uh, san francisco world spirits competition announced its award winners and glendronic 15 revival was named best in show among whiskeys there you go well that's a great yeah. choice Matt. yeah i saw that yeah mm-hmm. excellent choice yeah and great show by the way mark i really really enjoyed that 
And thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. what I'm drinking right now is I'm doing a heel slayer night because I have some, uh, I, I, I really try not to make it sound like this and it's going to sound obnoxious, but I have more whiskey than I will ever be able to drink in my entire life. <laughs> in my office. Until Sailor comes to visit. Until Sailor comes to visit. <laughs> I'm sure even you're going to look at this and go, oh, shit, there's no way. Probably. I, <laughs> I mean, I've never even counted the number of bottles on the shelf. I posted a picture one time and somebody else counted them. Oh, wow. And they said, yeah, we see 297. And I'm going, you have more spare time than I do because I've never tried to count them. <laughs> Put it this way: It's been three years. It's been three years since I've taken these bottles off the shelf to dust. Oh wow! But I had one sitting on the front of the shelf that I just saw. You know what? I need to finish this one because it's down to the bottom. A Duncan Taylor bottling from the old Imperial Distillery in Spaceside that was awesome. distilled in 1994, bottled in 2007 from their NC2 range, which means. No caramel coloring, no chill filtering, but they bottled this in 2007 at 13 years old, and the distillery was torn down. It is now the home of the Dalmunach Distillery that uh, the folks at Chivas Brothers are using for all their blending stock now. It's sort of the uh, the Chivas Brothers equivalent of the Rosile Distillery that Diageo has. Mm, okay. Mm. But when I opened this thing tonight, because I was down to my last inch or so in the bottle, the cork shattered. <laughs> oh, so I basically pried out what I could and then just pushed the rest of the cork down into it. There was an inch or so left in the bottom of the bottle. So we're going to finish it tonight. There's not too much left right. anyway. Awesome. And... Uh, the old bottle effect is taken in. I mean, this is. I'm looking at this, and it's it's cloudy. So I'm not even going to try to do tasting notes on it, just because it's a bottle that I've had for. Oh, geez, it was bottled in 2007, and I've probably had it since 2009. So I've had this thing on my shelf oh, for 11 years. Wow! I remember when I bought this thing. Oh, Time wow. to put that one out to pasture. Is that yeah. a cat? Is that a cast strength? It, is that a cast strength more, mark? Forty six percent. Okay. All right. So it is time to uh, it is time to let this dead soldier go. Yeah, it's time. <laughs> I like that. Well, Don't, we all it, have. Well, I was just not going to do tasting notes on it because I think I've done them at one point already. But it's still a good whiskey. Duncan Taylor is a name more people should know. Definitely. <laughs> yes. Guys, I just looked at the clock. I was about to say my watch, but who the fuck wears a watch these days? And it looks like we are running out of time. So if Mark would be so kind to come back next week, I would say we stop it here. Um, we can just chain him to the studio chair if we have to, I guess. <laughs> it's not like I'm going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> awesome. We've it's got true. you now. So we will uh, end it here and leave this as a little bit of a cliffhanger. Um, you've heard about the whiskey. You've heard us touch on jazz a little bit and talk about um, the whiskey cast. So tune in next week for us to talk about jazz. And trust me, it's going to be cool, guys.
Hey, this is Sailor, and you're listening to a Spirit of Rock Podcast Network show. Find this show and many others at spiritofrockpods.com.